something altogether different prepared for tonight and I was actually thought I was working in advance and getting ahead and um, well the more I worked on it the stronger I felt it and spent some time in my office just making sure and I just feel like this is the direction God wants us to go tonight and um, so we're going to do it we're going to do it and uh, I've never I've never taught on this before never uh, to really teach on it but I, I'll tell you it was actually birthed in my heart, in a prayer meeting in Zimbabwe. A few weeks ago, I was meeting with the pastors. We were getting ready for uh, our leadership training, and I've been teaching them and encouraging them to do what I teach and encourage you to do, and that is to come in and pray before service. You've got to understand, these men are coming from a totally different background. They're not coming from an apostolic background. They, they don't understand the importance, didn't understand the importance of pre-service prayer. Uh, to them, uh, when service started, it was just time to sing. And, and, I mean, you just, you know, whenever you get there, you get there. And somebody will be there singing, and so they'll sing for a good long while, and eventually get around to doing something else, but, but singing has been the preeminent um, process for them beginning church, and, and I've talked to them and taught them, uh, singing's great, singing is, is important, the Bible instructs us to do it, but it's not the most important, and so uh, I've been trying to teach them that uh, we get there for these training sessions, especially you, you need to come in and spend some time praying before the classes ever start so you can get your heart ready and prepare your schedule to teach later that afternoon. And I had some direction I was going to go. Uh, but, but in that morning prayer session, as I was praying, the Lord just started prompting some things to my heart. And uh, I had a pen, I grabbed a piece of paper out of my Bible, and I just began to write some things down as I continued to pray, and they continued praying, and I just made a few quick notes, and um, when we got through praying, I shared with them what I had felt during that time of prayer. And uh, so I, I didn't really develop it, I didn't really, it was just, you understand, just some things I felt that morning in prayer, but it has just not let go of me, and so I have spent some time working on this and and uh, putting together the scriptures, um, and I just really feel like God wants you to hear it tonight, and so I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. We'll read one verse of Scripture in Hebrews 5, and then we're going to Hebrews 6 and reading two verses of Scripture there. Um, we could read just one to get what I want, but I want to finish the sentence, so we'll read one and two. But Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, 
and, and don't, don't uh, get hung up on what this verse is saying as though this is going to be a night of um, rebuke. Don't, don't try to figure out where I'm going tonight. I just, I want to take a phrase that the apostle mentions. So let's, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. For when, the time, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of straw. He said, you have need that someone teach you again, which be the first principles. Everyone say the first principles. The first principles of the oracles of God. All right. Now let's go to chapter six. And again, you understand that Hebrews was written as a letter. It wasn't written in chapters and verses. You have to understand it's, it is a continuing flowing thought, though there are many sub uh, thoughts and, and categories. Um, there's an overall theme to the entire book. And, and so in chapter five, he, he mentions the first principles of the oracles of God. Then in chapter six, he says, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. So, so the apostle here in verses one and two, and chapter five, he said, you know, you ought to be teaching, but instead you need somebody to come back and tell you again, what are the first principles? And then he goes on to talk to them throughout chapter five and, and gets to the place Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, so leaving those principles, let's go on to perfection. Let's move on. Let's go to something deeper here. And, and he says, not laying again the foundation. And so that word foundation refers back to the principles that he mentioned. And principles here refers back to the first principles that he has dealt with in chapter 5. In fact, in fact, I know you're standing. Well, I tell you what, before I get into this, because I, 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 I need the touch of the Holy Ghost. I need your help. I need your touch. I need your touch. I need your help. I need your touch. I need your help. I need your touch. I need your Touch my mind. Touch my heart. Touch my spirit. Help me, God, to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Let me follow your leading tonight. Lord, in Jesus' name. Jesus name let's worship him one more time before we're seated tonight everybody let's worship the Lord together let's worship the Lord together everybody praise God praise God praise God hallelujah hallelujah amen you may be seated tonight now as I was saying Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, the author mentions the first principles of the oracles of God. The first principles of the oracles of God. An oracle is, is, is just another word for a divine utterance. All right? 
So the first principles of the things that God has said. The apostle makes reference to those things. And then he comes along in chapter 6 and verse 1. And he says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, here's what's interesting, at least to me. Sometimes what I find interesting, nobody else is interested in. But to me, I find this interesting. Because the word principle in chapter 6 verse 1 is um, in our English Bible, obviously the same word as what's used in chapter 5 verse 12. And, and there it, it's principle. But when you look at the original language, this word principle in chapter 6 is not the same word as principle in chapter 5. But it is the same word. Now, are you ready for this? It is the same word that is translated first in chapter 5. Are you with me? It's the Greek word arche. And, and, and arche, arche means the beginning or the origin. And, and I like this. Um, Thayer's Greek lexicon says that arche means the beginning point. For things which will follow. All right? So in, in chapter 5, he mentions the first principles. Um, the first principles of the oracles of God. In chapter 6, he mentions leaving the principles. And there, that's the word, the first, the arcade, leaving the principles of the doctrine. And here was something else I found interesting. Normally in the New Testament, when you find the word doctrine, it is the Greek word didache, which, which means teaching. But that's not the word that's used here in Hebrews chapter 6. But the word that is used in Hebrews chapter 6, that's that the King James Bible translated doctrine, is actually lagos. Um, and, and, and lagos, I, I've taught you about the lagos. It's more than just a word, but it's a concept. All right? It's, it's an entire thought, not just a word. And so... What this is literally saying in chapter 6, verse 1, is leaving the first of the concepts of Christ. So it, it, it is, it's very closely worded to what 5 and 12 says. Now, again, that, that may seem insignificant to you, but to me, what I saw in this was that the apostle was establishing that there are some principles which should take precedent over everything else. There are some principles which are the arcade. They are the foundational precepts, the things from which everything else is birthed. And, and these things ought to take preeminence because to God they take preeminence. Are you with me tonight? I hope I'm not... I hope I'm not being confusing to you. I, you know, I, I, I tell the men in Africa all the time, if you're not saying amen, then I concepts God has given because it is from these things that everything else is built. These are the most important things to God. And if they are most important to God, then they should be most important to us. 
right? If God puts them as preeminent, if God lists them as the RK, as God lists them as the first, God lists them as number one, they shouldn't be somewhere along the line in our list. They ought to be at the very beginning for us as well. If God makes them preeminent, we must make them preeminent also. Now, uh, there, there are so many uh, principles that, that we could pull and we could look at. And uh, I, I really don't, I don't want to start a series on this. I don't want to. I'm not planning on it. But I, I want to give you a few examples tonight. And then I want to get to one before we finish tonight that I really feel so strongly in my spirit. And yet, I, I, want to, I want to establish this last one by giving you examples of some other first principles. Is everybody with me? These are first principles because the scripture identifies them as first principles. All right? The scripture makes it clear that this ought to be first in some series, in some list of things. In some category, this ought to be the first in the category. All right? So, so let's look at some of these tonight. First of all, let, let's, let's, let's look at our, and, and, and I'm going to call them premier principles. I, uh, I, I'm, for the sake of, of putting a title on it, we're going to call it the first principles. All right? The first principles. But... But, but for the sake of teaching tonight, I want, I want to refer to them as premier principles. They're premier. They're, they're, they're not just first in a long list, but, but they, they are preeminent in every way. They are most impet, which we build up from. Right? But with God, God works in a different way. And God starts with the number one, the principle, the foundation, and he lets it flow down. So everything is not saying that the other things are not important. But they derive their importance from the first principle. All right, I, I may just be talking in circles to some of you. But, but, but follow with me here. Let's, let's start with our premier doctrine. Our premier doctrine. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. All right, so Jesus answered him, the what? First. Hello, the what? First. The what? First. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That is, that is our premier doctrine. Right. Yes, sir. This should be our first message. Everything else that we preach, everything else that we believe, I'm telling you, it all derives from this beginning point that there's only one God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Listen to me, church. Don't take it for granted that we're a one God church. All right. 
I'm telling you, I am saying to you tonight, this is the premier doctrine. This is the premier message. Everything else has to be built on the fact that God is only one. He is not a trinity. He is not a duality. There are not two persons or three persons in the Godhead. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Why do we baptize in Jesus' name? You want to know why? Because there's only one God. That's why. And if you don't get baptized in Jesus' name, you're not using the name of God. Why do we separate him into a trinity? They can say, well, you know, God's living in my life, but I haven't received the Holy Ghost. No, no, no. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't have God. Hallelujah. That's right. Everything, Brother Hilton, everything we believe. Jesus said, I pray for them that they might be one even as we are. Even the message of unity is built upon this premier doctrine. Everything. It is, it is number one and it has to remain number one. It's what I'm trying to instill in those men as they come out of that message of the Trinity, as they walk away from that, from that uh, doctrine uh, that, that was developed by the Roman Catholic Church, as they leave that behind, some of them want to continue going back and just fellowshipping with the Trinitarians and, and just preaching revivals for the Trinitarians and, and never say a word about this message. I'm doing my best to instill in them, no, 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 you can't do that. If you're going to go back and preach for them, preach there's one God. If you're going to preach their meetings, preach there's one God. They need to know there's only one God. Here, oh Israel, the Lord our God is. The Lord our God is. Come on, church. Come on. I've preached one God to this church for more than 22 years. I don't ever want us to get to the place that we even question how many are in the Godhead. We need to have, amen, an absolute commitment. It is our first message. It's our premier doctrine. Hallelujah. All right. Our premier doctrine. Our first message. The declaration of the oneness of God. Hallelujah. Listen to me, church. This should be our first objective. This should be our first objective. I'm, I'm preaching to you tonight that whatever else we may feel the need to pursue in this life, nothing should take precedent over the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to be number one. More than, than, than wanting a raise on the job, I want to see the kingdom go forward. Before I decide where I'm going to live, I want to ask myself, can I live here and it help the kingdom of God? Before I decide how I'm going to dress, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to interact with others, I want to always put it into this focus. Uh, I got to seek first the kingdom. I got to seek first the kingdom. I've got to seek first the kingdom. 
Brother Hilton, when somebody does me wrong and this flesh wants to rise up and get vengeance, I got to stop and say, wait a minute. I got to seek first the kingdom. Hello, I'm preaching to you tonight, church. So-and-so did me wrong. So-and-so hurt my feelings. I'm going to tell you, you got to get your eyes off of your feelings. And you got to get back to seeking the kingdom of God. you got to seek the kingdom of God. If it's going to hurt the kingdom, then I don't have to get vengeance. If it's going to hurt the kingdom, I'll just suck it up and take it. I'll just let them walk on me if that's what it takes. But I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I know some people don't like that kind of talk. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the one who said, out of everything we're going to seek, there is a premier focus. How does this affect God's kingdom? How does this affect God's kingdom? You know, I'm going to go get deeper in debt. I'm going to go... I'm going to go borrow more money for this, that, or the other. Well, you got to ask yourself, how is that going to affect the kingdom of God? Is it going to affect your ability to give? To contribute? Well, hear me, church. Number one, number one, the kingdom of God. Our lives must be governed by a driving desire to promote to propagate and to preserve the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you are not liking this too much tonight, but, but it's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Young people, you know why? You know why I keep pushing you to get here and pray early in the morning? When you could be sleeping and resting, you know why? I, I, I get on to you and I find out you've been staying up half the night playing games. And You know why I do that? I'm going to tell you why. Because you're affecting the kingdom of God. You're either having a negative effect or a positive effect. But nothing we do in life has a neutral effect. Everything we do either works for the good of the kingdom or the bad of the kingdom. And everything we do ought to be examined in the light of that focus. Because that's our premier focus. It's our first objective. Our premier doctrine, the oneness of God. And that is our first, maybe I can say it this way, our first oracle. (laughs) And then our premier focus is the kingdom of God. That's our first objective. And then, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And let's look at a, another one of these firsts. I exhort, therefore, that first of all... Supplic- I exhort, therefore, that what? First of all. I exhort, therefore, that what? First of all. I exhort, therefore, that first of all. What? Supplications. Supplications. Prayers. Prayers. Intercessions. intercessions giving, giving of thanks. thanks be, be made for all, all men. I... I exhort, therefore, that there is a premier responsibility. 
Church, hope to please God if we don't stay in constant, consistent communication with him. One of the most dangerous things that can happen on the battlefield is for a unit to lose communication with their commander. Well, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, we're in a war, and we're going to be in a war until the trumpet sounds. And it's going to be a trump of victory when it sounds, and the battle will be over. But until then, we're going to have to fight. And if we're going to fight, we got to have good communication with headquarters. We got to constantly be hearing from our commander in chief. We got to know what he's wanting us to do, how he's wanting us to fight. Well, come on, somebody. I'm telling you, we got to walk in the spirit. The Bible says if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But how are we going to walk in the spirit if we don't ever pray in the spirit? Without prayer, without prayer. Oh, I wish I could say this as strong as I feel it tonight. Because I'm telling you, I know, I know that there are people under the sound of my voice. You know I'm telling you the truth, but you're not praying like you ought to pray. You haven't really grasped, you haven't got a revelation that it's your first obligation. This is your first obligation. Above everything else, you got to pray. I don't care what else you're doing. I don't care how you're living. I don't care how much you're giving. I don't care how faithful you are in your attendance. I don't care how you look. I'm telling you, number one, first of all, first of all, first of all, we got to pray. Now, you're not just going to turn into a prayer warrior overnight just because you wake up one morning and say, I want to. And I know that. And I'm telling you, anything that you're going to do, you're going to have to start slow and you're going to have to take baby steps. But the, the infest. If you got to skip breakfast to pray before you go to work, then skip breakfast. But pray. Well, if you don't like what I'm preaching tonight, blame it on the sickness, all right? He's sick, so he's grumpy. Just blame it on that. I'm just telling you what I feel in my spirit tonight. I, I'm trying to convey to this church, we've got an obligation. We need to be praying. We need to be praying. I, I'm not talking about just once in a while. I'm talking about all the time. We've got to have a habit of prayer. I taught for months about prayer. And some of you have never put those principles into practice. I'm telling you, we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. Somebody was telling me, I don't know, I don't, want, I don't want to say it was him because if it's not, I don't want to blame it. But, but a pastor, a pastor was telling me that he's gotten to the place where people call him for counseling. He said, we've got a book at the church where we have people sign in when they come to pray. And he said, I just tell them, all right, you're wanting to meet with me for counsel? I'm going to go look at the book and see how many times you've signed in for prayer. And if you hadn't been praying, don't come asking for counsel. Yeah. I thought he was the one that told me that. Well, I got quiet all of a sudden. I, I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten soft in my old age. But you can ask the people I used to pastor in Texas. It, it reached a point. They'd call me to ask me something. 
Before I could even say anything, they'd say, yes, I have prayed about it. They just learned. Don't even ask. If you haven't prayed, don't talk to me. Go pray first. Now, listen to me. I, 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 you know, I don't like, I don't like issuing mandates and making commandments. And I know for some people it's difficult. I know where you live. It's hard to do it. But I'm going to tell you, there really is something significant about coming to the church to pray. There really is. Jesus is the one who reiterated that this place ought to be called a house of something about coming to God's house and praying. There really is. There really is. And if you can't do it first thing in the morning, you ought to try to make it a point. At some point during the day, I'm just going to swing by the church. I may not spend 15 or 20 minutes, but I want to make this a house of prayer. I want to get it so ingrained in my heart and my mind that when I come to church, there's no way I'm just going to sit on a pew and act like a statue. I want to know when I walk through those doors, I'm walking in to the house of prayer. Come on, church. Do you know, I'm t I know the devil fights you at home. I know he fights you on the job. But I'm going to tell you, souls are won or lost right here. If we don't have victory in the church, we're going to have sinners walking out those doors unchanged. we got to have victory in the church. So we need some people praying at the church. Oh, this is not going over much better than the last one did, but hallelujah. I'm just telling you, it's, it's our first obligation. It is our premier responsibility. We got to pray. We got to pray. We've got to pray. You will not make it living for God if you don't pray. You won't. You won't. You'll end up being like those lost coins I talked about Sunday. You're in the house, but you're lost. But if you'll pray, if you'll pray, if you'll pray, oh, you'd be surprised what a difference prayer makes. You'll be surprised what a difference prayer makes. All right, all right, all right. Now, that's, that's just three examples. We have our premier doc. Other things that we believe and we practice come from these first principles. They come from the first principles. They, they, they are built upon those first principles. And the first principles ought to take precedent. Listen to me. We, I believe we have to worship. I believe God expects us to worship. In fact, the Bible commands us to praise him. We, we have to worship God. But do you understand that worship must be predicated on prayer? Now, praise, anything that has breath can praise. That's what Psalm 150 says. Anything that has breath can praise. So it doesn't matter. I mean, if they're a rank sinner and they, they've been 
doing who knows what all day long. If they want to walk in God's house and lift their hands, they can praise God. Because anything with breath can praise him. But when it comes to worship, worship is something deeper than just praise. And not just anybody can worship God. But true worship is going to be predicated upon prayer. You can't really worship God if you don't pray to God. In fact, I, 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 I should have made note of it and brought it with me tonight. But in one of the books that I've got in my office, somebody recorded a prophecy that went forth in the early 1900s during the Azusa Street Revival. And, and this prophecy mentioned three things that were going to describe the church of the last days. One of those things was that people will put more emphasis on praising a God that they don't say it. A person who P-R-A-Y-S will have no problem with P-R-A-I-S-E. A person who prays will not have any struggle worshiping. Well... If you pray, you won't have a struggle worshiping because worship is going to be the natural result of a relationship that is developed through prayer. So many things that we believe, preach, practice come from these premier principles. All right? Now, these three that I've talked to you about Involve us. It is our premier doctrine, our premier focus, our premier responsibility. But I want to talk to you about a fourth one for just a few minutes tonight. Um, that really, it, it, it involves us, but it involves God. And us... By our connection with him. Now, the scriptures that I'm going to give you don't use the word first as these others have. But I think I can prove to you through scriptural example that what I'm about to tell you is true. Before I identify it, I, I want to I want to establish something else. Let's let's look at Matthew chapter six verse ten. I I want you to consider one of the things Jesus instructed us to include in our prayers. This is what Jesus said we need to be praying for. Uh, this is Matthew chapter six verse ten. Listen to this: Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. All right. Now again, thy kingdom come. We get back to that 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 premier focus, the kingdom of God. But then look at the next thing he says, thy will be done in earth as that it happen. And, and, and so then by this statement, we know that if that's what's happening in heaven, that is therefore the will of God. And that is therefore what God wants to happen here on earth. Did you not follow that? If it's his will, it's being done in heaven. And whatever's being done in heaven, he wants that same will performed 
in earth. Right? He told us to pray that way. Lord, we want your will to be done here in earth just as it is in heaven. So let's take a look at something that's happening in heaven right now. Uh, in fact, we're going to use, I, I, I've talked about in, in teaching the last couple of Sundays, uh, talking about the responsibility of being in church. Uh, I've, I've addressed again the importance of two or three witnesses. And, and to me, to me, I, I feel like if I can get a witness in the Old Testament and a witness in the New Testament, Two witnesses is what the Bible requires, but having one from the old and one from the new just really establishes things in my mind. Because we know that the apostles didn't have a New Testament to preach from. So whatever they preached, they had to find it in the Old Testament. So, so, so Brother Chad, if I, can, if I can find it in the Old Testament and find an agreeing passage in the New Testament, then, then to me, I've established this as absolute fact. So I want to show you from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, something that's happening in heaven. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6, first the Old Testament. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. All right, now, Uzziah is seeing the Lord on his throne, so we're in heaven, right? Right? It's a vision of heaven. The Lord's sitting on his throne. All right? So what's happening now? Verse 2. Above it stood the seraphim. So here are the angelic beings, the seraphims. Each one had six wings. Six wings. wings. Twain he covered his twain face. Twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his twain feet. Twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did, twain fly. He did fly. And one cried unto And one another. cried unto another and said, and said, earth is full of his glory. One cried to another, holy Holy, holy. Now let's go to the New Testament. Revelation 4 verse 8. The apostle John on the Isle of Patmos is given a vision. He looks up into heaven. And what does he see? Revelation 4 verse 8. And the four beasts. The four beasts. Each of them six wings. Had six wings. And they were full of eyes full within. Full of eyes within. And they rest they not, rest day, not and day and night holy. saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Lord God Almighty. Which was. Which was and is. And is, and is to come. I'm telling you, the, 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 the entire song may not have been exactly the same, but there's one refrain that was being sung in the Old Testament that's still being sung in the New Testament. The angels of God are looking at this being that created us and they are proclaiming one thing, one and only one attribute of God. Now we know, we know that God has many attributes, right? Love, truth, faithfulness, kindness, Mercy, wisdom, omnipotence. Some fancy word for he's got all power. That's one of his attributes. He has all power. Right? Come on, help me here, church. He, he is omnipotent. He has all power. He is omniscient. That means he has all knowledge. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. 
right? All of these things. And we could go on. All of these describe various attributes of God, but none of those attributes are being recognized by the angels. There's only one that they are proclaiming day and night. There is only one thing that stands out out of everything else we know about God. His his preeminent, his primary, his premier characteristic above everything else is that God is holy. Hallelujah. That's premier. That's primary. That's preeminent. That's above everything else. It doesn't diminish the fact that he is love. Doesn't diminish the fact that he has power. But I'm telling you, this is preeminent. This is number one. And because this is the archae of this principle of God, then all of these other attributes flow down from his holiness. They are tempered by his holiness. They are limited in his holiness. His holiness is the arche. It is the origin of a series of attributes. Everything else flows from his holiness. Hallelujah. Let, let, let me. Some of you act like you're just not really convinced of this. Let's, let's, let's talk about it for just a moment here. It, it is true that God is love. And, and God is merciful. In fact he's so loving and merciful. That he's not willing that any should perish. You understand what that means? You, you think of the most vile, filthy, disgusting, sinful acts that a person can commit. And I'm telling you, God doesn't even want them to go to hell. That's how loving and merciful he is. But you got to understand something. His love and his mercy flow from with for you to go to hell but his love is restricted by his holiness and he says I don't want you to go to hell but I'm too holy to let you into my presence the way you are something's got to be done about it well Hallelujah. I want somebody to get a revelation tonight of God's holiness, of just how important this holiness is. He wants you to be saved. He wants you, amen, to go to heaven. He wants you to be transformed. He wants to change you. But I'm telling you, God, as much as he loves you and as merciful and long-suffering and kind as he is, all of that's governed by the fact that he is number one, holy. That's why Hebrews 9.22 says this. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Do you understand? Do you understand what he just said? Do you understand what he just said? Without shedding of blood, there's no remission. 
There is a holy God who looks down at mankind and he says, my love, my compassion, my mercy, I want to save you. I, I, I don't want you to die lost. I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to burn for eternity. My love is reaching for you, but you've got sin and my holiness will not accept you the way you are. And so that sin's got to be dealt with. And there's got to be the shedding of blood. I'm telling you, if it were not for God's holiness, there would not have been a Calvary. You hear me? If God had not been a holy God, then he wouldn't have had to come to this earth and suffer and die for us. He would have just taken us to heaven as we were. But he can't do that because there is a preeminent attribute about him. He is most of all a holy God. Hear me, church. I'm telling you just as much as I want this to be a one God church. I'm telling you, I want this to be a holiness church. There are far too many one God churches that are throwing away the most. He's a holy God. we lose him you don't think this is preeminent you don't think this is the most important attribute of God I'm going to tell you there is a constant command that is repeated throughout both the old and new testaments and I want you to hear it we're going to read them Uh, we're just going to go through this fairly quickly get ready brother Josh I'm not going to spend a lot of time on commentary I just want to read through this list I want you to hear how often this is said both in the old testament and the new listen to what he says Leviticus 11 verses 44 and 45 I am the Lord your God Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy. For you I shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Uh-huh. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall you therefore shall holy. therefore be holy. For I am holy. Because I'm holy. Amen. Hallelujah. Right. Leviticus 19 verse 2. Speak to all the congregation. Speak to all the congregation. Children of Israel. Children of Israel. Say, Say to them, shall be holy. You shall be holy. For I, the Lord, I the Lord your God, am holy. That's Old Testament. I can take you to a whole lot more in the Old Testament, but let me bring you over to the New Testament tonight. First Peter chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen. But as he which hath as he holy. which hath called you is holy, so be, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it's written be ye holy for I am holy I hope somebody's getting this tonight I'm telling you this is God's premier attribute he is a holy God above everything else and if we're going to be his people we've got to be a holy people oh hallelujah Get a hold of this tonight. He wants us to be holy. Ephesians 5, 27. That he might present to himself. That he can present to himself. A glorious church. A glorious church. Listen, listen. Not a charismatic church. Not a worldly church. Not a compromising church. Not a church that looks and acts and talks like the rest of the world. Not a church that blends in with its surroundings. 
should be holy. That it 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 should be holy. And without blemish. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 11. Seeing then. Seeing then. That these things are going to be dissolved. What manner of persons are she to be in all Conversation and godliness. <sighs> Hallelujah. Second Corinthians six verses seventeen and eighteen. Wherefore, wherefore, come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Almighty. No, no, no. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. He said, if you want to be my son, there is a requirement. You can't call yourself my son or my daughter and be out there living like the world. You gotta come out. You gotta be separate. You gotta be holy. Why? Because our Father is holy. Hallelujah. Titus. Chapter 2. Grace is supposed to be doing for us. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Now what's the subject? What's the subject? Grace. Grace has appeared. Grace is the one doing the action. Grace appeared to all men. Teaching us. Teaching. Who's teaching us? Who's teaching us? Who's teaching us? Grace. What is grace teaching us? That we can live like we want to. That we can dress like we want to. That we can be what we want to. Do what we want to. Watch what we want to. Listen to what we want to. Say what we want to. No, no, no. But grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present. That's what grace does. Grace comes and says he's holy. I'm going to give you the power to be like him. I'm going to change you into his image. You can't do it by your flesh. But grace, grace gives us the strength to become holy as he is holy. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Read, read, read. Looking for that Look, blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing, the glorious appearing God of the great Savior, God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself who for us. Gave himself for us. us. Now, get this. Grace. Grace teaches us we need to live a holy life. We need to live a holy life as we look for the appearing of our Savior. And you know why he's our savior? He gave himself for us for a reason. He might redeem do, us. Do you see that? You see the word that? Mm-hmm. It, it means in order that or so that. He gave himself for us for the purpose that he might redeem us from all, not save us in our sin, but save us from our sin. 
he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify, and unto, purify unto on the way people should live I'm telling you what we're doing we're just being zealous of good works we're just trying amen to match the image of the one who redeemed us he didn't redeem us so we could be like everybody else he wants a people that will be what he is and he is holy hallelujah hallelujah Look, ask any theologian. I'm trying to close, I promise you. Ask any theologian. Why? Why did God institute the plan of redemption? And they'll tell you, because God desired fellowship with his creation. Everybody agree with that statement? God wanted fellowship with us. But how can a holy God fellowship with an unholy people? When there is no fellowship between light and darkness. There is no fellowship between Christ and Belial. That's what God said. God's not going to violate his own book. And so if we want a fellowship with a holy God. We're going to have to be a holy people. Now, let me tell you something, church. Everything, everything we know about God is tempered by, it is governed by his holiness. His love is governed by his holiness. His mercy is governed by his holiness. Can I tell you, even his power flows from his holiness. I'm not just making an off-the-wall statement. Let's, let's go back to Isaiah's vision. And, and let's, let's go back. We left off. Give me a few more minutes. One did what? Cried one cried. Everyone say he cried. cried. Now one cried. That means he's not just whispering it. He's not just mumbling it. He's not just saying it. At a soft tone. So we, we, we've, lost, we've lost a lot of significance in some of the King James wording because of, of, of common culture. But it used to be that, that there were men who had a job of making public proclamations. And he was called a crier. The crier would carry a message from the king. He was crying. To, it doesn't mean tears. It, it meant he was proclaiming with a loud voice. He was, we would say, crying out. He was the crier. And we have here four criers who are crying something. They have a message to proclaim. And what is their message? It said, holy Holy. Their message is holy, holy, holy. Lord of hosts. Listen, they're not, listen to me. They're not whispering. They're not mumbling. They're not saying it in a normal tone of voice. They're crying, holy, holy, holy. Yes. 
They're crying. They're proclaiming his holiness. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what happens? The very next verse, verse 4, what happens? And when they started crying, holy, 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 the posts of the door moved. What moved it? What moved the posts of the door? The voice of him that cried. The voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. I'm telling you, this is what brought a move in God's house, was the proclamation of God's holiness. That's why I said a while ago, when we lose his holiness, we lose his power. You go back to any move, they might even see a few folks pray through, but they're not having a powerful move. Because God's power flows from his holiness. Some years ago, we had a man come to this church. His wife came first. First time she came, she walked in. She, she walked into the pew and she laid down in the pew. And uh, people wondering what in the world was going on. But she told me later, she said, I know you didn't understand what was happening, but she said, she said, I don't know anything about this, but she said, my husband was raised in a Pentecostal church and said, he has told me over and over about the power of God they used to have. And he said, he's, he's, he's stirred up and he wants to find a church, but he doesn't want to go just anywhere. He wants a church that still has the power that that church had. But she said, we have visited every large charismatic church in Kansas City. And he's walked away discouraged and said, nobody has that power anymore. She said, he's decided nobody's got it. He won't even look. But she said, he had me curious. And I'm not giving up. And she said, I found you on the web. And she said, when I got out of my car, I felt something I had never felt before. And when I walked into this church, I felt something I had never felt before. And she said, I knew this must be what he's been talking about. She said, the reason I laid down in the pew is I got my cell phone out and I called him and said, you need to listen to what's going on. This is what you've been looking for. It's a long story and I don't have time to go into it all but I'll tell you this they didn't stick around for one reason he called me one day he said we're not coming back because you people preach holiness and I'm not going to raise my kids that way well sir I'm sorry to tell you that's the reason the other churches don't have that power anymore you lose the power oh hallelujah uh, I still feel a little snag. Some of you not quite convinced of that yet. I know it's, it's, we're in overtime. I talked about this Sunday. We're in overtime. Now you ought to be really rejoicing, cheering. The crowd needs to be going wild. Come on, it's overtime. Woo! Where's my cheerleaders right now? We're overtime. I'm nearly done. Let me show you something. Romans, I think this is the very last scripture, right? This is the very last scripture. Romans, that gives you hope. Sister Becca, come give him some more hope. Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. Now I want you to listen to this. Concerning Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. 
Concerning his Concerning son, his son Jesus, Christ Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of, the, was seed made of the seed of David, according, according to the now, now hang on right here. Hang on right here. We're talking about the son. So we're talking about the flesh. Right? In fact, he was made of the seed of David according to what? According to the flesh. That's what he said. That's how he was the seed of David. By the flesh. But then what does verse 4 say? And declared. He was declared to be. The son of God. The son of God. With power. With what? With power. With what? With power. He was declared to be the son of God with power. And that is the Greek word dunamis. The power, the might, the strength. He was declared to be the son of God with power. Uh-huh. Not according to the flesh. But according to what? The spirit of the holiness. spirit of holiness. Of the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. The power, the power that the Son of God had was connected to the spirit of holiness. New life. We're not golden people. We're going to continue to be a holy people. We're going to continue to preach the same thing I've been preaching for 22 plus years. We're not letting down on the standards. You know, I've never understood. Some people say, well, you hadn't preached in a while, so I guess you changed your mind. No! You know, God in Genesis 1 told us what he created on each day of creation. But he never said it again anywhere else in the Bible. Now, he didn't change his mind. He didn't come back thousands of years later and say, well, I didn't really mean that. Times are different. You know, it didn't really work that way. No, he said it. And every reference after that to creation means you just got to believe that on the first day he separated light from darkness. On the sixth day he created man. The seventh day, you just got to believe it. It was stated. We're not changing what we believe around here. Well, we're not changing what we believe. Because I want his power. More than that, I want him. And I can't have him. And not have his holiness. I want to be holy. Because he is holy. When you sing to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like. Do you know what you're really saying? Because Jesus was holy. And if I'm going to be like him. I'm going to have to be holy. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord tonight. Can we do that? Let's lift our hands. Reach out to him.